Hey, good morning. <clears throat> hey, uh, many, many of you know the last few weeks hadn't been the best of weeks for me. Um, uh, you, you've heard me whine and cry about my injured back. Uh, then I broke my elbow, and they just took the, the cast of brace off uh, last week, and uh, I'm trying to rehab that. And then on the end of that, uh, last week I wasn't able to be here because uh, uh, I had uh, contracted COVID, and I was sick, and I didn't want to put any of you guys um, in, in harm's way, whatnot. Uh, but there's, there is something really good about uh, finding the brakes put on you in your life to where you have no choice but to kind of sit and, and be still, and uh, you, you kind of can uh, recalibrate some things. You know what I'm talking about? And there's a benefit uh, in all of our lives uh, to the stillness from time to time that we might allow God to recalibrate what is important and allow us to loosen the grip of the things that are not so important. Amen? Amen. I had read a scripture this week in Psalms 115, verse 3, and, and this is what it says. Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. And so my prayer this morning for Trent, and my prayer for the uh, family here at the Driven Church, is that we would find pleasure, the ultimate pleasure, in the things that please God. Amen? Amen. Okay, listen, we're doing our study in 1 Thessalonians, right? And we're in chapter 4, and we're closing out chapter 4. Before we go any further, let me, let me kind of uh, 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 give a little caveat to what's happening right now. You guys, this isn't going to be a surprise to you guys. You, you watch TV, you know what's happening. Um, we had just come out of a study of roughly around 70 weeks through the book of Exodus, right? And about six weeks prior to stopping or finishing, completing the study through the book of Exodus, I said that I felt like the Lord was wanting us to go through a study in First and Second Thessalonians. You guys remember that? That was about six weeks before exiting Exodus. Now we're in our 10th message in 1 Thessalonians, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you haven't even got through four chapters, and you've already got ten messages. Yeah, it kind of works like that sometimes, right? We're in no hurry. We're, we're wanting to rightfully divide the word of truth. We want to navigate it. We want to understand it. We want to apply it, right? Well, we find ourselves now at the end of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians with the world as it is. Okay? So this, this wasn't something that had been manipulated, schemed. Uh, this isn't something where we as a church and as a leadership allow what's happening in the world to dictate what's going to be shared from the pulpit. We open God's Word. We study our way through God's Word. And the sovereignty of God delivers the Scripture at the timing in which we find ourselves. You with me on this? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so listen, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we had just come out of uh, two messages about a life that pleases God. The first part of chapter 4 was about our relationship with God, His desire for us to be sanctified through and through. And then the next uh, a portion of that scripture uh, that we just stepped out of a couple weeks ago was about our relationship with one another. And so you, you, the, he, Paul was uh, 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 painting this picture to this young church that was only uh, really only a, a few months old at this time, a church that had been born over a period of three weeks, uh, a, a relatively uh, infant of a church in its infancy, and 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 Paul was teaching them these 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 concepts and these ideas and and delivering to them this message about a life that pleases God, right? And so, what's happening now, and listen, you guys know this, as we study through these first uh, four chapters, one of the things, man, that just jumps off the pages is the fact that this young church, born over a period of three weeks, was on fire. I mean, man, these cats were bringing it. They had resolved uh, their, their position and their posture in God, and man, they were making progress. 
shameful progress when we want to compare their uh, uh, experience of three weeks to maybe some of our experiences of three decades. Right? I mean, it's reasonable to take that and to look at that and say, hey, man, why am I not moving? Why am I not responding? Why is God not doing things in my life like he, like he was doing in their life in just three weeks? Right? So all of this is happening. But there's something taking place kind of behind the scenes that has uh, come to concern these young believers. Because the Apostle Paul... When he, was in, when he was in Thessalonica, when you go through uh, Exodus or Acts uh, chapter 16, 17, 18, and you watch that uh, evolution there of the church and its growth, the Apostle Paul had, had taught them of the second coming of Jesus. Right? It's, it's evident. When, when we read the scripture, it's evident that this had been taught. And what had, what had happened was there was an anticipation of the imminent return of Jesus, and they all thought there in Thessalonica that they would be alive. It was that imminent that the return of Jesus, man, was right there. And these cats were expecting to be alive and to witness this coming of Jesus. And what had begun to happen was that people had begun to die, maybe under persecution, some natural deaths and whatnot, and there was a concern for these people who had passed away. And the concern was built upon the notion that because they were no longer alive, that they would not have the benefit of this glorious experience of the second coming of Jesus, of the arrival of Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul addresses those things in the verses we're going to study today. So turn with me, 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, 13 through 18. And I know what you're thinking. If, you're, if you were a visitor here last week, uh, my brother Ben, where's Ben? Ben, okay, he's downstairs, okay. He, he stood in the gap for me last week, right? He did a tremendous job. I love my brother. And uh, uh, I, I hate to discharge that responsibility. I feel like God has put on me to another person, but it's, it's something you have to do considering all things. And, uh, and I know if you're a visitor, you were a visitor last week, and then you come back this week, I know what you're thinking. This guy's already too loud, right? Man, I, that, that other guy, man, he, he kind of had a soft voice. It was kind of inviting, man. It made me feel really safe and, and secure. And then all of a sudden, this other guy shows up in a black shirt, and he's yelling, right? That's what you're thinking. Well, you're right, I am. <laughs> That's who I am. This is my makeup. This is just who I am. So uh, just bear with me. Give me some grace this morning, if that is you. And let's just look at the scripture and try to overlook my loudness and erratic behavior because I'm somewhat spastic. Give me some grace this morning. Amen. I'm going to give you some grace. And I know you. And you need some grace. Listen, listen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. He gives them this message directly. This is a word from the Lord. He gives them this message, and it's for this purpose. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Right, let's pray before we unpack this. Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, this morning, we ask you, Lord, uh, to speak through your word, 
We ask you, Lord, to minister to the hearts of everyone here. I pray, Father, that no one would leave here without possessing the certainty that they're in Christ. Not second-guessing, but will know. And so this message and this revelation would instill in them a hope in a world, Lord, that appears to us all to be fractured beyond repair and busting at the seams in shambles. So, Father, we honor you. We exalt the name of Jesus, and it's in that name we declare this truth. And we ask you, O oh God, to be God now. Speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. You guys know how we do this. We just kind of unpack the scripture, right? We just kind of work our way through the scripture. Now listen, I'm going to tell you what we're not going to do today. Okay? We're not going to get into whether you're premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial. All right? We're not going to get into whether or not you're pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation. That's not what we're going to do. Because the context of this scripture is going to dictate exactly what we address. As we work through the rest of 1 Thessalonians and into 2 Thessalonians, the scripture and the context of the scripture will dictate what we address. This isn't me up here with my shifty ideas and, and my per, persuasion of how I think the, the last days. My, I'm not out here to project upon you my views of eschatology, meaning the last things or the last days. That's not, that's not what I'm here to do, to present my view. I want to present to you what the Scripture clearly teaches. Clearly teaches. And what the scripture clearly teaches, whether this jives, man, with your view of eschatology or not, the scripture clearly teaches an imminent return of Jesus in which the apostle Paul thought even at that moment there was nothing holding him back from that happening. The imminent return, meaning there was no need for any type of prophetic uh, fulfillments at that moment that would, that would uh, not allow for the return of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, when we get into the Scripture, he goes so far as to say, we who are alive regarding his return, operating under the assumption, and he backs this again in 1, Thessal- in, uh, 1 Corinthians, concluding that he even thought that he would still be alive, including himself in the number of those who remain at the coming of Jesus. So I want you to understand, it's just the scripture we're working through. We're not uh, quoting out Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth or any other person's view of eschatology. We're not showing clips from the Left Behind series. Kirk Cameron's not going to be up here. That's not my my responsibility, nor the charge. The charge is to navigate the Scripture. You're on the rails with me. No one's been derailed yet, right? But I love Kirk Cameron. I know what you're thinking. I do too. But that's not the point, right? Okay, let's look at this. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers. Now, this is a term that the Apostle Paul uses multiple times through the Scripture. He uses it in Romans chapter 1, verse 13. He uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, in regards to the spiritual gifts. That's what he says. I don't want you to be misinformed in regards to the spiritual gifts. Well, he uses that term again, and the implication immediately is the fact that there's some misinformation. And he's stepping in and he's saying to them, let me give some information, some revelation to secure you in a place of understanding. I don't want you to be confused about this matter. We understand that, right? 
right? The Greek word, the Greek word agnoeo means to be ignorant. Now listen to this. It doesn't just mean to be ignorant. It also implies the idea of sometimes a willingful ignorance. There are people who don't know, and then there are people who don't want to know. And we've all been in that place, right? Every one of us on some level of our lives had been in that place. You know when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, when we get the, the test results back, I'll contact you. And you're on the other end of that, of that phone call. You hear the phone ringing and there's a part of you. You don't know what the call is, but there's a, a fear in you that if I answer that phone, then I'm going to be given some really bad or tragic news. And I don't want to know. And so I'll bury my head, my head in the sand regarding my physical health, right? We've, have we not all been there with some apprehension, right? And let me tell you what, and when I say this, I want you to understand this isn't a, a derogatory condescending term. When I say ignorance, when I say ignorance, I'm, I'm basically speaking the lack of knowing, lack of knowledge. I, I, this isn't the ability for you to comprehend your, your intellectual prowess. This is... A lack of a possession of understanding. Ignorance. And I'll tell you what ignorance can do in all of our lives. Ignorance can instill things in us and take things out of us. Ignorance, the lack of knowing, can instill fear. And the lack of knowing can remove peace. And it's almost an exchange. We've all been there. As a matter of fact, several years ago, uh, it's probably been 20 years, and I had, uh, I had the need to go see an oral surgeon. And so I, they were, they were going to uh, give me a crown, and they were wanting to save this too, so they had to do a root canal. Anybody ever had a root canal? All right, if you don't know anything about root canal... It instills fear, right? You don't know, man. You hear these horror stories. So, man, I'm going into this oral surgery, man, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be brutal. And it was a beautiful, beautiful sister in the faith, and I didn't even know it at the time. And her name was uh, 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 Jocelyn Gray, I think was her name. Or Ro Royce, Royceman Gray. Royceman Gray, I think is her name. Right, Janet Royceman? And she was... She was super nice. She kind of walked me through. She knew I, I was really nervous. And, and uh, Carrie and I were, you know, uh, we were borrowing from the poor to pay our bills kind of thing. You know, we wasn't in that place, you know, where we had the means. But I'm at an oral surgeon, man. I slap my, my insurance card up there. And I, I'm hoping it's going to cover it. And they say to me, well, uh, you, you still owe us $350. I'm like, well, can, can you just pull it? That's what I was saying. I was like, $350. Now, I, I know some of you guys who are rolling in, man, $350 isn't anything. But for a fairly newly married man uh, uh, who didn't uh, necessarily have the financial grounding at the time, $350 was a lot of money. And so I paid the $350. I thought, well, by the grace of God, I'll be able to explain this to my wife when I get home. Why we're not eating this week. <laughs> right? They got a hey, they hamburger helper five days in a row. Right? Right? So, so I remember the procedure was done. wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. The insurance actually covered the crown. I, I was amazed by that. But I'm out 350 bucks. And I remember going home. And I remember, hey, the, you know, the, the, the uh, unanticipated bill of $350. And it just kind of reverberates through the household. And, and some time passes. While I was there uh, uh, at the oral surgery, I had an opportunity to speak to her uh, just briefly before my face just froze up. And uh, uh, she began to share with me a little bit about her and her husband in the ministry. I thought, well, I, I was like, all right, all right cool. Amen. You know, I had that kind of that kind of exchange with her. And, and so I go home, and a couple weeks pass, and I get this letter. From Dr. Gray, and I'm like, oh, man, I thought it was $350. And I mean, I brought that letter in, I set it on the table, and I looked at that letter, and I liked the knowledge or the understanding of the content of that letter, of that envelope. 
operating under the assumption out of ignorance that every envelope from a doctor's office is a bill. It doesn't take a great revelation from God for you to discern that. Life experience alone establishes this reality. So I looked at that letter sitting on that desk and I prayed down curses upon it. You know what I'm talking about. Lord, burn this debt. You know what I'm talking about? You know, some of you that are like crazy, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, Lord, I, I reject this letter. <laughs> I reject this bill. You know, I had fear. You know, uh, I, I'm out 350 bucks. And then I worked up the courage. That bill wasn't going anywhere. That envelope wasn't going anywhere. And I walked over there, and I opened up that envelope, and it, it wasn't a bill like I was anticipating, but it was a personal letter, handwritten letter from Dr. Gray. When I opened it up fully, out from the bottom of that letter fell out a personal check. And in that envelope, she had refunded every penny. She had written me a personal check for $350. Shared a little bit about the love of the Lord in the letter. The interaction we had had in the office. And she said, I just wanted to bless you. But ignorance had me frozen in fear of the very thing that God had done to provide and to relieve me. But the ignorance blinded me to the relief of God. Only at the point when I was willing to expose myself to the knowledge of the content of the envelope was the goodness of God then poured out into my spirit. Right? Right? The Apostle Paul was saying to these guys, he was saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. That's what he said. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant, whether it's willful or just ignorant. Because Hosea says that his people are destroyed for what? A lack of, because you rejected knowledge. You see that? You see that? You see the lack of knowledge and then you see a rejection of knowledge. And Paul's literally addressing both sides of the camp here, saying whether or not you just don't understand or whether or not the fear is so overwhelming, you're so perplexed by this, man, you're just rejecting this. I mean, I've talked to people about the Lord, man, and, and I can't help it when this stuff is going on around the world. Jay, you know how it is. You get in a conversation with people who aren't uh, a part of the faith, but they're kind of on the outside and they're contemplating or considering. One of the first things they always ask is, do you think this is the end? Right? That's what they ask you, right? That's what they always ask you. And then you'll say, well, let me talk to you. I, I, I don't really want to know all the details. It scares me to know. Right? And the Apostle Paul was saying, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. Listen about those who are asleep. And when he says asleep, he's speaking regarding being dead. Now these cats aren't mostly dead or partly dead. These are dead people. Right? Right? Princess bride type thing. Mostly dead. No, dead. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who are asleep. And he says, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You know what he was saying to them? I want to give you some knowledge from God that's not going to remove grief. but It's going to instill hope. I'm, you're going to grieve, man. You're going to grieve. I just talked to a young man yesterday on the phone, voice cracking. You could hear it. And he knows he's on the cusp of his brother dying. He knows this. And I said to my brother, grieve if you will, but you are not hopeless. And the Apostle Paul was saying to these people, 
You will grieve. These people you have lost, these people who do sleep in Jesus, these people who are no longer with you, you will grieve, but you won't grieve like the rest of the world grieves. You will grieve with hope. And listen, man, I've been in this long enough now. I've preached enough funerals, some that I wished I didn't have to preach. I've preached in funerals, man, where there was no hope. And I'm telling you, man, there's no greater weight, man, than to stand before a family and all you can do is share the gospel. There, there is nothing in the life of the individual that would reflect uh, or, or, or bear witness to an experience with Jesus that's transforming, right? And man, I'm telling you, that's some heavy stuff. And then I've been in those places And I've preached those funerals of saints. <laughs> I'm talking people, man, who have lived this thing wildly for Jesus, had given of themselves, had, had poured themselves out. And the confidence that was instilled in me out of the life that they expressed, that gratitude towards God. Man, I was able to stand up there with the utmost confidence and say with certainty that their life bore witness to the transforming power of Jesus. And there is a significant difference. And I don't ever want to stand in a place like that regarding any of you With weight and a heaviness of not knowing, right? Don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. When he says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, the hope that is connected to this imparted knowledge is predicated on one assumption. The inclusion that they too subscribe to the same thing that Paul subscribes to when Paul says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. He assumes they believe. And so... The hope that's being instilled through this knowledge is contingent on that truth. If that truth isn't in play, the hope isn't in play. Is that said of you? Could it be said of you with the utmost confidence... Could I impart that same hope to you and include you in a statement of saying we believe? It's a question that needs, or a statement that needs to be posed as a question to each of us. Because what he's talking about is the resurrection, right? And the resurrection that he is speaking of is the hinge pin of the faith. Because if you don't believe in the resurrection, man, you are the most hopeless of all people. And you say, well, Trent, those are some pretty hard words. Those aren't my words. Those are Paul's words. Man, you check it out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know what Paul says? Listen to this. Speaking to people who didn't believe in a resurrection or at least questioned it. Paul said this, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, watch this thing go downhill. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Downhill. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it, is, if it is true that the dead are not raised. 
For the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Downhill. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And then Paul stops. And in a hero moment, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. See, Jesus, the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection isn't just something that, that is an act that Jesus is going to perform. The resurrection, the resurrection is literally, literally in the very fabric of the identity of Jesus. They're inseparable. Jesus, in essence, not just represents it, but in his very being is the very act of the resurrection. You go to John, you go to John chapter 11, right? Jesus is, is strolling into Bethany, right? Mary or Martha comes out there. She says, hey, teacher, had you been here? Uh, my brother, the one that you love, that whole deal, uh, he wouldn't have died. Remember? And Jesus looks at Martha, an astute, learned Jew, and we know this because of her response. Jesus says to her, your brother will live again. And she says to him with the knowledge, the studious knowledge of the doctrine of a resurrection, she says, I know he will live in the resurrection in the last days. And what did Jesus say to Martha? I am the resurrection. <laughs> I am the resurrection. I am the life is what Jesus said. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says to Martha, do you believe this? And that is the question that the hope of the Thessalonians is hinged upon. Do you believe this? Now, Paul's assumption wasn't an assumption at all, but it was a statement of confidence because the life of the Thessalonians, which he had already spoken to in previous chapters, bear witness to the fact that they believed that. So Paul, with confidence, says, we believe, knowing it included them. Why was that? Because their life demonstrated that they too believed in a resurrection. Right? Okay. And he says, For this we declare to you, you got to stay with me. Hey, we meet one day a week, one Sunday a week. Stay with me. Stay with me. We're unpacking this. This is for you, it's for me. He says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now when he says, we declare to you by a word of the Lord, it is the Greek word, what? Logos, right? Logos, meaning divine utterance, right? So when you go, when you go into John, Chapter 1, verse 1, what Paul is establishing here when he says, uh, uh, we declare this to you by a word of the Lord, he is saying, this doesn't originate with me. This isn't my thought. This isn't, I, I'm not the one who's come up with this, but this is a declaration we're making by a word, a word of the Lord. So when you go into John chapter 1, when the scripture says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? You know what I'm talking about, that scripture? Let me, let me read it to you like this so you get it. Because what, what is being delivered and declared is a logos. A logos. A divine utterance. And he says this in John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the logos. And the logos was with Theos, God. And the word logos was Theos. So what he's saying to these cats right here who are in despair, I've got a word from the word, right? That's what he's saying. 
This isn't something I contrived in the late hours of sleep. But this is a revelation that I've been given by Theos, God. I've been given a logos, a living divine utterance. And this is what he says. That we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord. See it? You see how he includes himself in that? That, that happens numerous times. Roughly five years later when he writes 1 Corinthians, he's still saying that. He's still thinking that. We, we who remain, we will be changed is what he said. That's what he said. There's this imminent return of Jesus that could happen at any moment that Paul always allows to be in play as long as he has breath and he includes himself in the we because it could happen at any moment. As long as he's alive, as long as he has breath, he's rightfully included in the we. Then he says this. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Man, this is it right here. The question of these Thessalonians was the same question that you and I ask. What about my mom? What about my dad? What about my brother and my sister? What about my fellow worker who has passed? And the Apostle Paul says to them, listen, those of us that remain will not precede those who sleep. You know what he's saying? This glorious moment, they've not lost out on this. Oh, no, it's still in play for them. As a matter of fact, it's so much in play for them, they're going to precede you. They're experiencing this before you experience it. And in this revelation, all of the uncertainty and all of the hopelessness, you can almost just feel it passing away as this revelation, this word from God is given that instills a level of comfort, this knowledge removes the fear and the uncertainty. And if they receive this, then comfort is theirs, right? And then he says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Listen to these prepositional phrases, right? Listen to this. From heaven with a cry of command. One. With a voice of an archangel. Two. Let me drop that thumb. I got you confused. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. With a cry and a voice and a sound. I love what Vance Hafner said. I'm not looking for signs. I'm listening for a sound. He says, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and the caveat is in Christ. The dead in Christ. Are you in Christ? The question you have to answer. I can't answer that for you. And then he says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. There it is again. We who are alive. And so all of you left behind, all of you Hal Lindsey guys out there, I know what you're waiting for. I know what you're waiting for. I know what you're waiting for. You're waiting for that harpazo, right? That's what you're waiting for. When it says we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, harpazo means to seize, to catch up, to snatch away suddenly and decisively. The term rapture is derived out of the Latin. And it's derived from that, harpazo, Snatching away. This is undeniable. No matter how you want to turn this scripture inside or out, no matter how you want to place this on your uh, uh, timeline of, of end times, eschatology, no matter how you want to try to view this, 
the reality is that Jesus will descend. And it says, and the, the scripture says, and the Lord himself, no ambassadors, no spokespeople, no representatives, he himself will do this and see this through. And then he says this, And so we will always be with the Lord. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, in light of this, encourage one another with these words. People say to me, and they probably say to you, this isn't exclusive to somebody who's called a pastor, but all of us who call upon Jesus, we get questions like, do you think we're living in the last days? Right? Have you, have you got those questions? Anybody here? Am I the only one who gets that question? If you get that question, raise your hand. I'm going to come up to every one of you that didn't raise your hand. I'm going to ask you after church. We all get that question, don't we? Do you think we're living in the last days? Well, of course we're living in the last days. See, there's a moment in history that separates the first and the last days. You realize this, right? You know where that's found at? Book of Acts, chapter 1. You know how the first and the last days are split? And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in the white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The last days begins. At that moment, the potential of Jesus returning then becomes relevant because he had to first leave do you remember what he said? Hold on, let, let, me, let me share this with you. Let me share this, we're going to close, okay? I know some of you are tired. I didn't get to preach last week. and I've, I've, got, I've got a couple more chapters. <laughs> My sister up here is doing her little, little doodle she draws for us. She, she encapsulates the sermon in these little slick drawings that are really, really beautiful. She'll be suffering fatigue this morning, hands cramping, knuckles busting. I mean, I could go, but I don't want to do it to you. I got my young sister out there. She's like, oh, please don't do it to me, mister. I don't even know who you are. Please don't do it to me. I'm just kidding, my young sister. I remember. I remember, and some of you guys remember me sharing this. About 10 years ago, we were here on a Wednesday night. My daughter, who is 26 years old now, was 16 years old. Good math, right? And uh, I got the phone call here at the church. Uh, she had been, she just started driving. Every parent knows the experience and the hell I was going through, right? Right? You let your kids start driving, man, and you're talking about praying. And then you get that first insurance bill, and you'll really start praying. Right? You know what I'm talking about back there, don't you, Dad? All right. I'm sitting, sitting back here. I, I get the phone call. She's got Clark Evans with her. She's 16, Clark Evans, a scrapping nine-year-old. Man's man. Right? Phone call comes to me. It's Taylor Evans. She says, Dad. I said, yeah. She said, we've been in a car wreck. I said, are you okay? She said, yeah. I said, is Clark okay? She said, yeah. I said, where are you at? Where are you? She said, I'm on the other side of Etown, down from the Nolin building, the old Nolin building. That's a five-star. She said, we're in the parking lot. And I said, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming. And Darwin, I couldn't get up there fast enough, you know. You'll know one day, brother, when they get there, you'll know. 
Man, you can't get there fast enough, Gus. You can't. Man, I'm trying to weave in and out and trying to be legal the whole time. And I come up around that curve where the old Nolan building was at, and I could see that five-star sign right there, and there's this retaining wall. You know what I'm talking about, Gus, that retaining wall that's right along the, the, the parking lot right there? And she was, and, I, and I'm a ways off, man, and, 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 and I could see that retaining wall, and she was standing on the retaining wall. And she was looking because she knew I was coming. And I could see it. As I pulled it, I could see it all. I don't know where Clark was. But she was looking. And I could see the relief, the comfort. You know why? She knew the one whom loved her most as her father had said, I'm coming. There was comfort in her heart knowing that I was on my way to secure her. I would say to you guys today, whether you're a part of this TDC family, whether you're a visitor or not, in our spirits we need to have that type of posture regarding His coming. That we can be secured and confident. Secured and confident that upon His return, We'll be able to greet him with a joyous, glorious response. And you say, why should we have such a confidence? In John chapter 14, Jesus says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go... I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. So, the world looks pretty crazy. Looks pretty crazy. It is crazy. But I don't think what God has called us to do, and this message isn't delivered, it wasn't delivered from the, impulse, the Apostle Paul, nor is it delivered for me this morning to instill fear. Paul didn't say, hey man, share this fear with one another. He said, encourage one another in this. The king is coming. The king is coming. And nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. And what you and I, and our response to God, needs to be one of preparation to receive His coming. Right? And that is something I can't do for you. I can't prepare for you. I can only prepare Trent, right? But I can lay this before you, and I can say to you this morning, He has called us to watch and pray. Watch and pray. And we need to be prepared. For it will come to pass. I have the utmost confidence. And I give you that knowledge this morning. A word from the word that I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. Thus saith the Lord. So the message of the gospel is a simple message. The message of the gospel is this. You and I are dead in our trespasses and sin, unable to make it right with God, impossible. We do not have it within us. God seeing the lack of capacity for us to merit this expression of salvation, when it's beyond our reach, out of his love for us. He sends Jesus. And Jesus pays the ultimate price 
that you and I could be benefactors of that love by simply acknowledging the one who was sinless became sin, that those of us who were sinful could become sinless in his care. And how do you reject that? How do you reject that? And so that's the proposition this morning for you. And it's an easy exchange here. Lord, take all this sin. Give me all that sinless. <laughs> take all this depravity. And give me all that righteousness. Give me all that goodness and mercy and grace. The great exchange. His life for your life. Right? Yeah. The gospel in a nutshell, he came to die Pay the price for the sin debt of every one of you in my hearing this morning. He calls you to respond to that. That's not done with a tear. That's not done with a shout. That's not. It's a belief, a pistuo, remember in the Greek, a trusting in? I ain't, I ain't asking if you believe it. I'm saying, are you trusting that? Are you trusting that? Receiving that? That's on you. That's the gospel this morning. That's the gospel. No one here will ever be able to say, I've not heard the gospel that Jesus came and died for me that I might live for eternity. Stand with me this morning. With your heads bowed just for a moment. heads bowed just for my, just out of reverence for and respect for your brothers and your sisters. No bait and switch. We're not, we don't do that. The very thing, the proposition that I just made to you, or at least tried to explain to you that God has made to you. How, how will you respond to that? How will you respond to that? I'm not asking you to come down here and to pray and then say, I believe something and then just walk out. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, are you willing today to trust, trust Jesus with your eternity? And in so doing, allow that transformative truth and knowledge not only to secure eternity, but to radically influence the remainder of your days that you would live a life like the Thessalonians. <laughs> that you would live that type of life. If that is you, with your heads bowed, eyes closed, and you say, I want to accept that this morning. I've never accepted that. And this morning, I want to accept that truth. I want to trust that truth. Just raise your hand this morning. It's okay. I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not, I'm not doing that. We're not. I'm just asking. I just want to see. Okay. All right. All right. All right. You can lower your hand. That's all right. Now I'm going to ask another question. If that's the decision that you've already made, and I'm asking this, and this is selfish on my part, if that's a question that you've already answered, and you're saying in your heart this morning, not only do I trust him, I want my life to reflect my trust in him. 
for my eternity and for my life as well to be redeemed. If, if that's a decision you've already made, could you raise your hand? Just raise, No one's looking. I just need to see. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Bless you. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, to the best of our ability, we have shared this gospel, your gospel. As Paul said, uh, we declare um, a word from the Lord. This isn't our gospel. We're recipients. I'm a recipient just like everyone else is a recipient. There's nothing in me that's of my life that merits this gift. You have just lavished me with your love and your mercy. And Father, I am so thankful for that. And Lord, for those who have acknowledged this morning that that's their position, that they have trusted in you, Lord, I bless them. And I pray, Father, for every hand that went up, for every son and daughter of God, I pray, oh God, that during these difficult times that you would just draw them into you that they would get a greater sense of your care and of your presence, and they would have a greater sense of rest, and this great news of the goodness of Jesus would be a word that they could share with one another in their homes and in their workplaces and in their jobs or, or their schools or whatever else, Lord, to encourage one another. To encourage one another. To place courage in each other. Meaning there may be a day, Lord, that I may need to be encouraged and there may be a day, Lord, that I may need to be the encourager. But whichever side of this I find myself on, let me be faithful in that to receive and to give. Pray for each person, Lord. I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say for their, for their needs, Lord, are so vastly different. The places that they're coming from is so vastly different. Their life experience is so vastly different. But the one thing they have in common is that you love them and you've made it possible for them to come home to you. In Jesus, you've made that possible. And for that, Lord, we are so grateful. So, Father, as people in their hearts wrestle in these decisions, Lord, and they go out into that world, and the world will challenge the decisions that they've made in their heart, I pray, Father, a resolve that is so strong and so mighty would rise up in them, this, this, this confidence of Jesus, that they would be able to stand under the influence of a godless culture and be a light to a dark, dark world. So, Father, I bless my brothers and sisters. I bless them. And I will say with your eyes closed this morning, I'm going to say something to you guys. I need you to keep your eyes closed. Because this isn't directed at any person. There's no need to even see where I'm looking. or I'm just going to make this statement. If you're unsure this morning of where you stand with Jesus, and you really, man, want to settle this question, you really you want to talk about this, I'll stay here all day long. I'll stay here all day long. And I'll share with you in as much as I can out of Scripture God's plan for you. I am not running out. You'll not have to chase me down. I will be here for you. That none would leave uncertain. So Father, we bless you and we thank you 
everything done, everything said, Lord, we, we did it to honor you. And the sons and daughters of God, in the name of Jesus, says amen. Amen. God bless you.